Welcome into the first Running for the Roses in 2023. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year to you, Lucas. We are back. Couple of weeks off for the holidays, for New Year celebrations. Lucas did a lot of traveling. I did a little less traveling, but still plenty busy and a, a really good holiday season uh, for myself. Lucas, how are you, my friend? How have uh, the last couple of weeks been uh, in the roadie household? Good. It's been kind of a whirlwind, like you mentioned. A lot of travel. Um, I uh, had the experience. This is a college football pod, so I should share. I think I had the experience of a college football coach during this yep. timeline last week. I did an 11-hour drive from Pennsylvania. The next morning, flew up to Wisconsin and then drove nine and a half hours <laughs> to Nashville. Uh, but no, it was good. It went by way too quick. I was starting to get confused what day was which. Um, but uh, yeah, so today was a little bit of a, a good dose of reality coming back to work. But otherwise, it's good just to kind of get have a normal day uh, getting back in my routine. And uh, it, it was it was fueled by really awesome college football here over the last week, which I'm excited to talk about. Yeah, we really got got blessed um really really good bowl games throughout the kind of end of december and then two awesome semifinal games which we'll get to here in a second it sets up i think a, a pretty intriguing um not really david versus goliath but like blue blood versus traditional mm-hmm. versus non-traditional blue blood school tcu and georgia for the national championship they're here in a, about five or six days and um we'll uh preview that as well uh, we'll get to some odds and ends uh, around the college football world, some transfer news, some coaching news with Jim Harbaugh's name getting tossed around in the NFL uh, coaching carousel here once again. Cross that off your uh, January bingo card if you have it. And uh, Lucas and I will do a little review of the Big Ten Conference, kind of recapping their season, what surprised us, what is going to intrigue us heading into the 2023 season. But Lucas, uh, we have a couple of, uh, of games, big games to recap here. Two awesome semifinals. Um, and, and this was something I think college football needed because the semifinals, usually you have at least one blowout. Um, and this, and, and in some cases, you have two blowouts like you had last year. But this year, two one-possession games. TCU beats Michigan 51-45. And then Georgia beats Ohio State 42-41. Um, We'll start with the Fiesta Bowl here. Michigan, TCU, Michigan, second straight year they fall in the semifinal. TCU just continues to, to, to kind of ride this ride, a 5-7 and seven year in 2021, a new head coach, and one game away from a national championship. Um, High-scoring game, Lucas. TCU jumped out early. We're up 21-6. Michigan kind of stormed back in the second half. Uh, your impressions of TCU's victory over Michigan in the Fiesta Bowl? I mean, like we said all year, I mean, TCU's just, they get knocked down, they get back up. Every time you think they're kind of dead in the water, they they just rise right back to the top. And, you know, they, they started off hot. I mean, Michigan kind of, uh, you know, kind of kicked themselves uh, a little bit. They had two picks. They threw two pick sixes in this game. You had the, the controversial touchdown that got overturned. Then the next play, they fumble right at the one-yard line, which took points off the board. So for Michigan, I mean, you're you're still looking back, and you, it was still mistake-ridden, but yet you were still there with the ball to potentially win the game uh, there in regulation. But, uh, you know, just a fun game. I think this was 
kind of the kind of the epitome of an awesome college football game. You just had crazy play after crazy play. The third quarter, there was what forty. I think it was 44 points scored in the Correct. third quarter yeah. alone. Yep. Uh, it was just back and forth. It was just so much fun. But, you know, credit to TCU. You know, they – I think the whole talk, the whole game coming in was, were they going to be able to handle, you know, the, the physicality of Michigan, one of the you know the best offensive lines? Are they going to be able to contain Donovan Edwards? And it was TCU who yep. – uh, really controlled the line of scrimmage. I mean, they had 284 yards rushing on the ground, even with Kendry Miller getting hurt in the third quarter. Uh, you know, Imari uh, uh, Dermercado still rushed for over 150 yards. Um, and Max Duggan didn't even play like an A game. He was 14 to 29, had a couple of picks, uh, though he made some great throws. And then obviously Quentin Johnson, who's been phenomenal all year, uh, just continued to make, uh, play after play after play. And then with Michigan, I thought J.J. McCarthy played pretty darn well. Um, he really had to for them to have that that big comeback in the second half. But, you know, it was – we'll get into this with both these games. But it was just too I, – I love it when a game is – you can't really say that, like, hey, somebody lost this game. Right. You know, this team won because this team gave them chances. Obviously, Michigan gave them chances, but TCU also made plays to win that game. Uh, it was just both very well played on both sides. And TCU just came on top uh, just because I think they ended some, they ended more drives in the end zone. Michigan settled for three field goals in the first half uh, versus TCU who got three touchdowns in the first half. And I think that was really the the difference in the game. And now we get to see what TCU can do uh, against a Georgia team that, that also played in a really good classic. Yeah, if you look at the box score, it's 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 surprising that Michigan loses, right? They had more first downs, they had fewer penalties, they had uh, almost a hundred more uh, passing yards than TCU. JJ McCarthy, like you said, really good in this game. Twenty of thirty four, three hundred forty three yards, two touchdowns, but two pick sixes. I mean, mm-hmm. those are the things that you, you can't do in semifinal games. And you know, Lucas, to your point about TCU controlling the line of scrimmage, TCU had six point four yards per rush, three rushing touchdowns, only. Max Duggan sacked only once. J.J. McCarthy sacked three times. Uh, both teams averaged seven yards per play. Both teams ran over 70 plays. Um, if you were to ask any Michigan fan on the planet, dead or alive, you're going to score 45 points against TCU. They would say, we're going to win by two scores. Yes. And Michigan, which had the one of the best defenses in the country, um, Faced Ohio State, who has some really good receivers, right? We'll talk about them here in a second. Quentin Johnson, six catches for uh, 163 yards and a touchdown. 111 yards after the catch for Quentin Johnson, including a 76-yard touchdown reception. Like, he was a beast, absolute monster. Maybe solidified himself as the number one uh, draftable wide receiver in next in, in this April's draft. Um, and TCU is a team like we talked about it during the year. We talked about their resiliency, just their way to win games in multiple ways. Mm-hmm. Texas seventeen to ten, but we knew like they can score with the best of them. Max Duggan is is just a stud. He's a really good college quarterback, runner up for the Heisman Trophy. Plays smart, controls the game. They don't make a lot of mistakes. They're well coached, like just everything, right? I think Garrett Riley's a awesome offensive coordinator. I'm, shocked that he hasn't been poached away by anyone at this point, whether it's mm-hmm. a bigger, you know, offensive coordinator job or, or uh, 
a head coaching job in the group of five somewhere. I mean, he's done a tremendous job. I mean, this is year one. Yeah. And TCU, which went five and seven last year, is playing for a national championship. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of uh, back 2013 Auburn. That was a that was a team that went three and nine the year before. They fired Gene Shizik just a year or two after they had won the national title. And you bring in Gus Malzahn, and you, know, you bring in a couple good transfers. You bring in some good uh, coaches, and you know that team was kind of the same way. Just found ways to win. Uh, kind of won a couple of crazy games, obviously against Alabama. They also had like a Hail Mary against Georgia that year um, and ended up going to the national title and, and sadly losing. We'll see if TCU has that same fate, but um, just an unreal year. One of the best stories in college football that I can remember um, really in the last couple decades, I think. And it'll be interesting to see if they can get going. Uh, you mentioned uh, – or against uh, a Georgia team that's coming off a, a pretty crazy win themselves. Yeah, so Georgia beats Ohio State um, 42-41. The Bulldogs were down, I believe, by 11 heading into the fourth quarter. Um, this did not look like a game that Georgia was going to win. I mean, it, it did not look – this was not a typical Georgia game, right? We saw them dominate their way defensively to a national title last year. I have said throughout the year, like, I don't think there's an elite, elite team in college football this year. And I think that these two games really showed it. I think the New Year's Six games are are showing it, right? I mean, Georgia, Ohio State went blow for blow for them. I mean, C.J. Stroud just torched Georgia. 348 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions. Um, Ohio State couldn't run the ball a ton. They only had, only had 119 rushing yards. Um, to me, the storyline of, of this game is Stetson Bennett and the Georgia offense. I mean, Stetson Bennett has been called a game manager. He's been called, like, the worst national championship winning quarterback in decades. Like, whatever you want to call him. 23 of 34, 398 yards, three touchdowns. Um, And a Georgia – like, again, if you were to ask an Ohio State fan, you're going to score 41 points on Georgia, the vaunted Georgia Bulldogs. They'll say, we're going to win by two scores. Mm -hmm. Didn't happen that way. No. uh, This game was – as much fun as Michigan and TCU was, this game just felt like a whole nother level. I think some people might argue this felt like the national championship game, just with the amount of talent that was on both sides of the ball. And you'll mention, you know, CJ Stroud arguably played the best game of his career in this game. And yet they still came up just one point short in. I mean, Ohio State from the get-go was aggressive to win this. They were going for it on fourth down early in the game. You talk about maybe the best called timeout ever yeah, that saved Georgia's season. Uh, Ohio State's going to get on a fourth and one. is going to um, convert a fake punt easily. That continues to drive. Um, instead, uh, uh, Kirby gets the timeout just in the nick of time. Um, and they're able to, to get a good lineup to punt it. Um, and also, too, you talk about the, I think it was that fourth down and six, um, that they almost get, that Georgia almost gets stuffed. Um, but Brock Bowers has unbelievable body control to, uh, to keep himself in bounds to stretch. Uh, on review, he ends up getting the first down. They end up scoring a touchdown um, on that drive. It was just insane the amount of plays in it. And then in the third quarter, Ohio State takes over. They get, yep. you know, they get a 14-point lead. 
at that point, I felt like it was going, like, I was like, holy shit, they're going to do this. Like, they just have the, all the momentum. Kind of changes then. You know, Marvin Harrison Jr. gets knocked out in the third yep. quarter. Um, and a lot of, and really their offense has changed. They had to go a lot more conservative. They could not really run the ball. Um, against Georgia, only allowed 3.7 yards per rush. Honestly, their best runner was C.J. Stroud, who I don't think I've ever – I don't think I've ever seen him want to run so much in a game. He can move. He's not really that much of a dual threat guy, but you know, then he has the, the big 27 yard run to put them in field goal range and, and Ruggles, their kicker who has been so good for them all season. Um, you know, that, that kick wasn't even fairly close. I know there was an issue with the snap and stuff like that. It wasn't the, the cleanest hold in the world, but um but no, a brutal for Ohio State fan. I texted uh, a couple of buddies of mine who um, are both huge Buckeye fans, and they said it was some one of the hardest losses they've taken in some time because they thought they had the best team in the country on the ropes and should have came out with that win. But you mentioned, uh, you know, Stenson Bennett. You know, I think everybody wants to crap on him when he has a bad game. Uh, and everyone wants, like, okay, where's the catch with him? When is it finally going to be too much? And it just hasn't. The guy just rises to the occasion, just had a phenomenal last drive of that game in fourth quarter to seal it for them. And now they're a 14-point favorite going into this national title game. It was just uh, an unreal game. I think you were talking about kind of the amount of good games that have happened and the amount of bloods that have happened in the playoff. I can pr- probably the only two I can recount that were actually close games were prior to this season were Ohio State Clemson back in 2019, uh, and then I believe it was Ohio State Alabama the first year of the playoff that I can remember where these games came down to the wire, and um, basically the, these games this is what we all thought was going to happen when this playoff was created. And I hope it's a sign of good things to come. And I hope it's a sign for a great national championship game, too. Yeah, just one last thing on Ohio State, Georgia. I, I think to your point, I don't believe there's a, a dominant team in college football this year. And I think that is kind of the difference. I think in years past, right, whether it's LSU 2019, last year's Georgia team, like you've seen one or two dominant teams and they kind of cruise their way until they eventually meet for a national championship. And you know, listen, Georgia's been number one most of the season, but they haven't played great all the time, right? They barely escaped Columbia against Missouri. They look not so great um, against Kentucky this year. So, you know, Georgia and, you know, people said maybe they are bored. Maybe they can't get up for every game. I, I get that. This is still a team that's won, you know, what, 27 of the last 28 games, right? Alabama in the SEC yeah. championship game last year, they're only blemished. Like, it's a crazy run that they have been on. Um, one more thing on Ohio state, it's, it's crazy to think about this team was this good without maybe their two best offensive players heading into the season. Jackson Smith and Jigma played what half the season, uh, did not play in the peach bowl. And then Travion Henderson, uh, their stud sophomore running back didn't play in this game either. Um, I'm not saying that that sways the game, but like consider the fact that Ohio state's preseason top receiver did not play in this game and, and they still towards that Georgia secondary. So it will be interesting. Lucas, moving on to, to taking a look at the national championship game. It goes down Monday, January 9th uh, in Los Angeles. TCU right now, a 13 and a half point underdog over Georgia over under set at 62 and a half. This is on Fanduel Sportsbook. 
Uh, first of all, were you surprised at this line? I, I was a little surprised it got over two scores considering it's a national championship. I mean, I, I get that TCU is not going to get the respect mm-hmm. um, that other teams would. I was a little surprised. I was expecting like a nine and a half, ten and a half ish point line. Yeah, I thought around 10 was where I was kind of expecting it because I know when they were looking at – because one, I mean, Georgia was a, what, five-and-a-half-point favorite against Ohio State. Yeah, they they closed around five, and Michigan was like a seven, seven-and-a-half point. Half against TCU. So, yeah, I mean, I can kind of see now where maybe you think that Michigan is probably six points better than TCU. Um, I just – and I get it. Like people are going to point to, you know, there's there's a big talent differential between uh, between Georgia and TCU. But you could have made the same argument against Michigan. Um, you could make the same argument against Texas, who they beat early in the year. Um, so I think if I were gonna pick a line, I would probably lean towards picking TCU. Um, that being said, if this if Georgia plays offensively like they did against Ohio State, I don't know, just because I think Georgia's defense is better than Michigan's. And I also don't know if if TCU is going to be able to run for 284 yards against uh, um, against this Georgia front. You know, they're going up against, some people might argue, the best player in the country in, in Jalen Carter um, on that defensive front. Um, I just don't know if they're going to be able to do that. What I think they can benefit on is, you know, if you can force potentially Stenson Bennett to make mistakes, which he we have seen he can be sometimes forced into. If you can do that like he did to J.J. McCarthy, they're going to need that, I believe, to stay in there. And then if I'm Georgia, I do think they found something with, uh, I think it's a Donnie Mitchell. He's a true freshman, wide receiver, missed a good chunk of the year, played, um, uh, in that uh, national semifinal against Ohio State, had uh, three catches for 43 yards, kind of gave them kind of a little bit of a stretch uh, stretch guy there on the outside. Um, interested to see how they do that. And also if TCU can use Quentin Johnston uh, the way they did against Michigan. So it's an intriguing matchup. Um, and I just, I mean, I hope it's a good game. I think it will be a good game. Uh, I'm going to say that. I will guarantee it will be a good game. I think it'll be a good game as well. I, I, I think for TCU, a couple keys, right? I think starting early and starting strong is going to be important for them. They went up on Michigan 21-6. to They were up 14 nothing, Keeping their spirit alive, keeping them in the game as long as possible, right? Your worst-case scenario is Duggan throws a pick six, Georgia controls a quarter, they're up 14 nothing, and you're like, oh, shit, like we're, in, like we're in trouble. I do think if you're TCU, you have to take some solace in the fact that you dominated Michigan's offensive line, and that might be the best offensive line in the country, right? I believe they won the Joe Moore Award. They did. They did. Yeah, like the, the Michigan is an offensive and defensive line team, and, and they controlled or at least matched them along the lines of scrimmage. And, uh, you know, Georgia certainly is a, a bit of a different beast, especially with that defensive line. And Georgia is more talented, I think, as far as recruiting rankings go and, and probably future draft prospects than Michigan. But TCU held their own. Um, if you're TCU, it's, it's all the, all the kind of coach speak stuff you have to do. You have to take care of the football, protect Max Duggan. He's got to play the game of his life. You have to get Quentin Johnson the ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe Keandre Miller is questionable for this game. Since yes. Sonny yes. Dykes dated a couple days ago. 
So that will be a, a, a you know huge uh, decision whether he can play or not in the in the in the coming days. How many targets and how many receptions for Quentin Johnson? He's going to be likely going against Kaylee Ringo uh, for a lot of it. Who's a projected first round pick at cornerback? I, I will say Ohio State did. Um, oh, they picked on him. They picked on him a lot. They picked on he him had quite a, a lot bit. of success. The highlights. Oh yeah. yeah. And apparently the shtick on Kaylee Ringo is he's a little bit like Trayvon Diggs with the Cowboys. He's going to gamble. He's going to he's he's going to lock you down a little bit, but he's also prone to give up the catch, give up give up the big play. Quentin Johnson had nine targets uh, against Michigan. He had six receptions, uh, uh, six receptions for 163 yards. He's a monster after the catch. They get him the ball in a multitude of ways. I like what Garrett Riley does getting him the ball. Um, I think it'll be a good game. I think it'll be a competitive game. I would pick Georgia. I think this will be a close game entering the fourth quarter, and Georgia maybe pulls away, maybe gets a backdoor cover. Maybe they win something like, you know, 35-24, 38-24, something like that. Um, It's What do you think TCU, if you're you're talking to a TCU fan, you tell them you have to score X many points. What? How many points do you think TCU has to score to win this game? More than Ohio State scored, I'd <laughs> yeah, say. It, like it, they they the got to score at least in I think the mid to upper forties yeah. to to win this game. Which you know, can't it's crazy. Like that's but that's kind of the state of college football. You can still have a great defense and still give up. We've seen yeah. that in this. You know, with Georgia, with Georgia. Yeah. Georgia. You know, Ohio State had a top fifteen defense all year. Michigan had a top five defense all year. Um, you know, TCU's wasn't bad, but they were just in like the mid thirties, but it, you have to have the ability to score. And I think they're going to have to, because I think Stenson Bennett and them are going to be able to score on this TCU defense. Now, one thing that TCU did a really nice job against Michigan was they kind of put Michigan off schedule. Michigan couldn't just run the ball and get four to five yards every time. I mean, TCU had 13 tackles for loss in that game. Yeah. Um, you know, D Winters, Dylan Horton uh contributed for about half of those. D Winters also had a pick six, just played like the game of his life uh for TC. So they're gonna need to do that. Um, you're gonna need to be able to contain that running game uh for Georgia. But yeah, I think you're gonna have to score probably in the mid to upper forties like he did. I mean, he had to score fifty one to beat Michigan. If you can score fifty one, I think you're gonna feel pretty good. Though that that might be a tall pass because you know Georgia's defense is going to look at that game tape against Ohio State and be, like, hungry not to give up that many points for a second. Well, and if you're Georgia, like, the multitude of weapons for Ohio State, I think it's a different level than TCU's offense. And, you know, you could argue, aside from Arvin Harrison, TCU has as good of a player as Ohio State has on offense. But the multi, like, I don't know if, if I'm Georgia, I'm putting – two guys every play essentially. Yeah. And I know that's easier said than done on Quentin Johnson, but like you, you have to feel if you're Georgia, if we limit him to four or five catches under a hundred yards, we're probably going to win the game. Mm-hmm. Um, not to make it that simple, but like if, if TCU can't get him the ball, um, I, I, I don't know if I see a path because I think you're right. I think that the number has to start with the four. Yeah. I don't know if, if you scored 31, 34, 35, I don't know if your defense, which surrendered 45 points to Michigan, which is, got torched by most of the big 12 this year. I don't know if they're going to um, hold Georgia under a number that starts with a four. So I think you have to, I think 41, 45, 48, something like that. Yeah. And and we've seen against, you know, kind of 
you know, air raid like teams, you know, Georgia was able to contain Tennessee pretty well. That runs kind of a similar offense to what TCU does. So um, now it should be a, it'll be a fun chess match uh, between these two. And like I said, I hope it's a great game because God living here in, uh, in Tennessee, even if pe- people aren't fans of Georgia, I got to hear that the SEC won another national title. So I don't, I don't yeah. want it in convincing fashion if that's the case. Uh, last SEC team to not win a national championship, excluding uh, UCFs in 2017, uh, Clemson <laughs> in 2018. Yeah. The last uh, team from the SEC t- uh, and Clemson, if you exclude the SEC, exclude Clemson, it would be Florida, Ohio State in 2014, Florida yeah. State 2013. So uh, we'll see. I, I, I think I was asking you earlier on, on the pod, last non-Blue Blood, or I'm sorry, before we pressed record, last non-Blue Blood, to win a national championship. And we, 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 we both said, I guess Clemson in 2016, right. Is probably the, I, I would not have considered them a true blue blood um, at that point. But Lucas, if you, if you're not counting Clemson, it, it's, it's a while. It's a while yeah. before you get to one, you're probably going back to like BYU in 86, um, you know, Washington, Colorado, Georgia tech, in the uh, in the early '90s, it, it has been a while, and that's why I think this is a little bit more intriguing um, than in years past. Yeah, I think we should do for maybe a future future pod uh, uh, thing that we could do is maybe we could do a a draft for who would be who might be the next program to enter in. Love that. In that, like. No one really saw Clemson, you know, especially when they hired Dabo. I don't think anyone expected what they've done now. You know what? Um, you know what program might be on the precipice of that? I think would be a, a really interesting. Well, and and you know, think about it, it's a good question here. And and you know, you think about all the schools and how much money these schools are putting in. And and if you're Texas A and M or Texas, how do you like the the first team from Texas to make the playoff? TCU, the first team from Texas to win a playoff game, TCU. Right. I mean, if, if you're even schools like Utah that have been close to breaking through multiple years, you know, Oregon, I think, is another one that had some years with Marcus Mariota uh, in the kind of early 2010s um, that, that you could kind of put as that non blue blood you know, program. But it's a it's a it's a blue blood club to win national championships. And I think TCU crashing, it would be really cool. Cool. Yeah. So, Agreed. Uh, all right. Let's move on to some other bowl games. It's a really, really fun bowl season. I I joke to Lucas. It's so fun for Lucas. He's throwing his can all, all, all over the office <laughs> in celebration. I told Lucas, bad, bad couple of weeks for the there are too many bowls crowd. Really bad couple of weeks. I would love to know what these people are watching in the end of December that are not, I mean, maybe Christmas movies or, you know, Rudolph or whatever. <laughs> I'm going to go through a couple real quick, just some of the some of the the best results so far. Oregon over North Carolina, 28-27 in the Holiday Bowl. Arkansas and Kansas play an absolute classic in the Liberty Bowl, a three-overtime thriller. Arkansas beats Kansas 55-53. Florida State gets their 10th win of the season. They beat Oklahoma in the Cheez-It Bowl, not to be confused with the Cheez-It Citrus Bowl, which we'll get to here. Uh, Florida State 35, Oklahoma 32. That game closer than I thought it was going to be. I thought Oklahoma put up a pretty good fight for a Mm -hmm. 6-16. Uh, Pitt and UCLA play a really fun Sun Bowl, 37-35. Dorian Thompson-Robinson uh, gets injured in that game, not able to complete it. Pittsburgh gets their ninth win of the season. 
Notre Dame beats South Carolina in a pretty crazy Gator Bowl. Oh, there's my autoplay. Um, and then uh, we will uh, talk about some of the uh, the New Year's Six Bowls here. Tulane over USC, 46-45. Penn State wins the Rose Bowl over Utah. Uh, Lucas, a couple games you want to touch on. Just I'll kind of see the floor here. Uh, what really caught your eye from the last couple of weeks of bowl action? Yeah, so to start off, bowl season, we should have known because the first game of bowl season, I believe, was the Bahamas Bowl, Miami and UAB. That came down to the wire. It was reminiscent. I can't remember which Super Bowl it was, but the Rams-Titans where Derek Mason yeah. is yep. stretched out at the one-yard line. Basically happened. Poor, uh, um, poor Miami of Ohio had the same, same thing happen to them. Uh, guy catches it, runs, and then stretches, gets knocked down at the two-yard line in the in the waning seconds um, for that game. But kudos to UAB, um, kind of a tough year with with Bill Clark um, resignating before the end of the year. Then the guy, um, I can't remember the interim's name, but that's who a lot of the players thought was going to get the job and everything. They ended up going way outside the box and bringing Trent Dilfer, uh, but cool for, for that guy to, to be able to get um, – a win with that team. But the other one you uh, want to touch on, you just mentioned it was Tulane and USC. I mean, one of the storylines kind of coming in this game, especially for Tulane, I, these games are always fun because the, the group of five program that makes it, I feel like these games get a bad rap because everyone always says that the, the power five team that comes in, if they lose, it's y'all, well, they don't want to be here. It's hard to get up for a game like this right. where, a group of five, this is like their Super Bowl. This is their national title. And for a program like Tulane that last year was 2-10, and ten, has been kind of a doormat program for a while before uh, these last few years with Willie Fritz, team that hadn't played in a major bowl game since around World War II, uh, that was once a member of the SEC before voluntarily leaving in the 1960s. Uh, it was cool to see them get – get on the main stage and, and what an awesome comeback win. They were down by 15 in, in the second half. Uh, they come roaring back, score a touchdown in the final seconds. Um, just really, really cool. And the great thing is, is like their starting quarterback, Michael Pratt. A lot of people thought he was going to be maybe getting greener, greener pastures, a transfer portal. He announced he's staying uh, and going to play there another year. So a bright future for Tulane. And all I kept thinking about Ryan was in this game, and I don't want to go – we don't need to go this far in this discussion, but how awesome is it going to be when this is actually like a playoff game yeah. that actually has national title ramifications? Look, Tulane's probably not going to win the national title, but that's still the, the best pro moment in that program's history. And it was just winning, um, winning there in the Cotton Bowl against a really fun USC team, which – Man, oh, man, Caleb Williams made some unbelievable plays in that game, but my God, is that defense just <laughs> – I'm, I'm wondering now. So first on Tulane, how about this? Tulane, 11 wins – I'm sorry, 12 wins in the regular season. They beat the Big 12 champion Kansas yep. State. They beat USC that was at 1.11-1, and they beat UCF in Cincinnati. What a year for Willie Fritz and that program. By far the best G5 team uh, this season. Um, is Alex Grinch back? Next year, uh, I mean, I, I, I just, I, I don't, I don't know how you can bring him back after the defensive performance against Utah, the defensive performance here, and they've got players on that team, like they've got or on that defense. Like it's not just all the transfers weren't just offensive players. They got Eric Gentry from Arizona State, 
uh, Desmond Jackson, a, a former five-star cornerbacks on, on that team. Like they've got, I mean, Corey Foreman, who was the former number one overall recruit in the country uh, is that like, they've got players on that team and you should not be allowing, I mean, they were up what 15. Yeah. With, 40, with 45 or 30 with like four minutes left. Yeah. You have up 46 points to Tulane and no offense to Tulane, but yeah, it's, and it, it sucks because when the G five team plays the power five team, it's, it's it's almost a no win situation for the Power Five team, but I don't know. Is there something to because people also brought up the Lincoln Riley and like bowl game stuff, where yeah. it's just not been it's not been good with Lincoln Riley, whether it's playoff semifinals or or uh, you know big bowl games. Uh, I think he's lost five or six straight bowl games. Uh, not great. That's Harbaugh too. Harbaugh I think has lost six yeah. straight bowl games with Michigan. But I mean to to be fair to. To Lincoln, most of those were in playoff semifinals where they were playing extremely good teams. But I also think more teams get a little bit – I shouldn't say they get more time to, to game plan because the offenses have never been the issue with Lincoln Riley. I had mentioned it earlier when we were talking about USC. His team this year reminded me just like of all of his Oklahoma teams. Uh, they're just so fun on offense, but just they just have not been able to figure out, or at least ha- he hasn't, that side of the ball. Because I remember when Alec Grinch came to Oklahoma, the guy was fantastic. He was at Ohio State for a year, and he was great at Washington State, uh, putting together really, really good defenses um, for Mike Leach and them up there. And it just it it just hasn't worked out. Uh, I. And like you mentioned, it's not like they've been talentless on that side of the ball. And your USC, you can get just about anybody that you want to go out there uh, to coach defense. And so I think it's going to be a hard discussion. Maybe they bring some, maybe it's a situation where it's like, hey, we're not going to fire you. Either you can look for another job or we're going to bring someone in to be like a co-DC to kind of get an outside voice. But yeah, you kind of knew when... Tulane got the ball back that they were probably going to score. I mean, yeah. it, just USC put up no fight whatsoever um, on that final drive. All right. Anything else from Bowl you want to touch on real quick before we move on to some portal news? Uh, yeah, maybe it was. I just want to talk about, could it be Brian Ferentz's last game as uh, the Iowa offensive coordinator at the Boy, Music that's City Bowl? Boy, that's Bowl, man. Boy, oh, I'm sorry. Music, Music City, City Bowl. Bowl. Um, that was... I mean, the low, the, the over and under was 31, I believe it was, the, or 30 and a half. It was the lowest ever for any bowl. Um, I believe, yeah, didn't come lowest close. Ever. Didn't even come close. Didn't come close. You had two true freshman quarterbacks for both teams that were playing because other ones had either injuries or guys going out of the transfer portal or opt outs. And uh, yeah, Iowa scored. They had two pick sixes. They scored a touchdown, I think, on their first drive. And that was about it. It's the most uh, Iowa. It's the, it's the most Iowa result you could you could have imagined. What a perfect yes. like capsulation for their season that yeah. Music City Bowl was. Just um, yeah, so kudos kudos to them on a on a good bowl win. But otherwise, yeah, great bowl season. I uh, even yesterday had a couple more uh, good bowl games. And like you said, hopefully tops it off with a great national championship as well. Yep. All right, let's get to some transfer portal stuff. Uh, the portal's still buzzing. I want to focus on the quarterbacks. We talked in our on our on our last pod that the quarterback dominoes really haven't fallen. Uh, they have fallen for the most part. Uh, most of the the kind of big name transfer quarterbacks 
uh, have destinations. I will go over them now. I'm, I'm on the on three uh, transfer portal website, which I, I think personally is the best one. If you're looking for players, uh, I'll go over the list here real quick. Then Lucas and I will uh, respond to uh, some of the new destinations. Devin Leary, the top rated quarterback transfer on the market, according to on three transfers from NC state to Kentucky. Uh, you have DJ Ungalale from Clemson to uh, Oregon state, Nick Evers from Oklahoma to Wisconsin. Tanner Mordecai also going to Wisconsin from SMU. Hudson Card from Texas to Purdue. We talked about Kate McNamara going to Iowa from Michigan. Graham Mertz from Wisconsin to Florida. Florida fans uh, not too pleased if I uh, have read the message boards correct. <laughs> Colin Slee goes from Kent State to UCLA, which is interesting because I think Colin Slee committed the same day as Dante Moore. Five-star mm-hmm. quarterback flipped from Oregon. Uh Shadur Sanders makes it official going from Jackson State to Colorado. Jeff Sims going to Nebraska from Georgia Tech. Drew Pine from Notre Dame to Arizona State. A couple more quarterbacks uncommitted. Brendan Armstrong still has not committed uh, from Virginia. Sam Hartman, a late addition to the portal. He enters after Wake Forest victory in the Gasparilla Bowl. Uh, he uh, is expected. Uh, Lucas is laughing at my pronunciation of that poll game, which I will not I repeat. I, I can't. Know. I don't think I. I have no idea how to say it. I have no idea how to say it. All I know is there's like four bowl games played in Tampa. There's like four of them. It's Tampa's this bowl. Uh, that and like Orlando has like Orlando eight. and Tampa just have so many bowl games. It's, it's absolutely <laughs> crazy. Uh, the Cheez It Bowl and the Cheez It Citrus Bowl, both in, in Orlando. Yeah. Um, Sam Hartman enters the portal from Wake Forest. He is expected to go to Notre Dame. Uh, Spencer Sanders from Oklahoma State has not made a decision yet. Crystal Balls, I'm just looking at on three, have either Ole Miss or Auburn. Lucas, when you look at the transfer quarterbacks, um, I think Devin Leary to Kentucky, Graham Mertz to Florida, Sam Hartman to Notre Dame. A lot of interesting destinations here. What stands out to you? Uh, Well, obviously the Sam Hartman one, we had heard – I mean, we had talked about in our last one that, you know, Dave Clawson was pretty open saying that he knew Sam Hartman was probably going to have some options after after the season. And they basically said they're not going to stand in his way if he gets a chance to maybe make some money and go somewhere else. Um, and when he entered, it was pretty clear. They basically said, yeah, Notre Dame was a top target. We had heard Florida was maybe kind of uh, roaming around to see if he had interest. But I think that lifts the ceiling for Notre Dame uh, heading into the next year. Their quarterback play was pretty dismal this season. But we know Notre Dame, they're going to play good defensively. They usually have good running backs. And they always, almost always, since Brian Kelly, stayed, since Brian Kelly took over and still with, with Marcus Freeman, really good offensive line play. So I think that's intriguing. But I also think DJU going to Oregon State. Um, look, DJU kind of underperformed. I thought he was much better this season. But Jonathan Smith is a great offensive mind, does great work with quarterbacks, going back to his time in Washington as their offensive coordinator. I think this is really going to be the first time DJ actually has kind of a a quarterback guy, a guy with a big offensive pedigree behind him. And, you know, Oregon State, we talked about it uh, on our last pod. I I think they're one of the most intriguing teams now with DJU uh, going there. I really think they're a quarterback away. They have really good running backs coming back. Their defense got extremely better this season from what it was last year. They finished 10 and three blew out Florida in the, I think that was the, was that the bad, the bad mowers or the, 
the bad it was, mowers. It was the or... Las Vegas Bowl. I know that. I, I oh, Las Vegas good, Bowl. Now, who I don't know it? if it was good mowers or bad mowers or or small or big mowers, but it was <laughs> something. But uh, I think that's I think that one's uh, intriguing as well. And I think the Devin Leary one maybe was the most surprising for me. Not that so much that can't, Kentucky can't get. I think Kentucky's really selling on how much they improved the draft stock of Will Levis. Um, and they're apparently bringing Liam Cohen back, who was the offensive coordinator two years ago uh, when Levis kind of blew up. So, uh, But uh, that one was maybe the most surprising move because I thought Leary was going to go, no offense to Kentucky fans, but maybe just somewhere a little bit bigger, uh, as a little bit bigger of a profile in football. But uh, but those were kind of the ones that, that largely stood out to me. Yeah, uh, I, I certainly think Kentucky taking Will Levis from a Penn State transfer to a presumably top 10 NFL draft pick had to weigh with Devin Leary. You mentioned bringing back the offensive coordinator, Cohen, who's been with the Rams, I think, the last two years. Um, I'm interested to see where uh, Spencer Sanders ends up. Uh, I know Auburn is still in the in the – market for a transfer quarterback. I think they will be a big destination for either Sanders or Brennan Armstrong. Um, Hudson Carr to Purdue was an interesting one for me. That was a guy that got a lot of attention, a lot of pub and uh, Purdue kind of came out of nowhere. I know he was visiting mm-hmm. Illinois. Um, there was some SEC, you know, rumors there with Hudson Carr Purdue with Graham Harrell and Ryan Walters kind of playing a more open style. I think makes a lot of sense for Hudson card. Um, I thought that was a very interesting move. And, and then, you know, Graham Mertz to Florida is, is a move that Florida fans were really freaking out. And I, I don't, you know, Graham Mertz will be an interesting case. I know Lucas has watched a lot about him. Florida seemed like Florida swung and miss a lot. Um, and I think a lot of people are a little ticked off that they had to settle, quote, for Graham Mertz. They were reportedly linked to Sam Hartman early in the process, uh, linked to some other quarterbacks that they didn't end up getting. So Mertz to Florida. Um, I think is another interesting one. And then Colin Schley to, to UCLA, like Colin Schley was a guy I thought, and again, I, I, I mean, who knows, maybe he didn't have any other big offers, but a decent Matt quarterback at Kent state. I was surprised he went there and then they get Dante Moore. I mean, I don't know if Dante Moore is going to sit behind Colin Schley for a year. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, and then I'll just touch on Arizona state picking up true pine. I thought Drew Pine was fine at Notre Dame. I mean, he was 8-2 and two as a starter. I'm not going to sit here and say Drew Pine was going to light the world on fire, but I was pretty surprised Arizona State was able to get a quarterback kind of a, a, of that caliber. I, I didn't think they were going to be able to swing um, for uh, swing in that pond a, a little yeah. bit. So I was kind of pleasantly uh, surprised. Uh, also, we should know JT Daniels playing now on his fourth team. With Rice. He will be going to Rice next year. We're- were you surprised Grayson McCall didn't go anywhere? He apparently yes. withdrew his name from the transfer portal, so it looks like he's going to be staying put at Coastal, especially you mentioned Florida kind of missing out on guys like Graham Mertz. Um, you know, you mentioned you know, Connor Schley going to a place like UCLA. Do you think just the market maybe dried up for McCall, or do you think it was so, you really so like the vision of Tim Beck? Like, I, I was surprised. Here's the confusing by that. thing for me. Like, We've been told that like transfer quarterbacks are worth potentially six and seven figures, and you know schools like Auburn and Florida and Miami have all these all this money that they're throwing around, or you know Nebraska. And, and I get it, McCall entered a little late in the process, but like the like 
that seemed like a lock to Auburn to me. Like yeah. it made a ton of sense for him to go to Auburn. And we've also been told that Auburn has this like eight figure NIL war chest and they're ready to spend big on players. And then Grayson McCall goes back to coastal Carolina and Florida gets Graham Mertz. No offense to Graham Mertz. Like I would have rather had that Grayson. That was you know. <laughs> so um, I am a little interesting. I'm glad you brought him up because he's not in the portal page because he's, he's announced he transferred back, but that was a yeah. very interesting you know, we've been told that these, I don't know, I don't think he's getting a seven-figure deal at Coastal Carolina. That doesn't, no. doesn't you know, smell right. But, um, yeah, interesting that Grayson McCall decides to go back to school. He's been one of the best quarterbacks in the country the last two years. Right? Yeah, and, and I think it's a good, and it's honestly, it's kind of a trend I'm kind of happy we, we've seen, you know, with Grayson McCall, Frank Harris at ETSA, uh, 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 Pratt at, at Tulane, all Tulane, guys yeah. that I think yeah. you put on an open market probably could have garnered a lot. All three of them decided to stay put at their group of five. So, um, which I just think is awesome because I think what we were getting worried with NIL and Hey, it still could happen. was just like, everyone was just going to go to the highest bidder and building a team culture and having a good fit at a university might not really matter anymore but i think we're seeing one i think some of those group of five programs have gotten their nil to a point where at least they can keep some of their players but also i think it's still showing that hey like these guys aren't just going to leave a good situation because they automatically think they're going to have something better i think some people are realizing hey i have a really good situation i don't have to compete for a starting quarterback job here and if i'm good enough i'm probably still going to be picked in the nfl i mean for god's sakes carson wentz went to north dakota state Trey Lance went to North Dakota State, and they still were top five picks. So yep. um, I just overall, I just like, think that's at least a good trend for college football. Arizona State with 19 transfer portal additions. So they're far. probably not done either. No, they're they're <laughs> going to turn over a ton of that roster. Also, just real quick, Florida State has done a really nice job in the portal of the top 11 players on the. Uh, transfer portal uh, website for on three Florida state has signed four of them. Cornerback Fentrell Cypress from Virginia defensive lineman, Braden Fisk from Western Michigan offensive tackle, Jeremiah Byers from UTEP and uh, tight end uh, Jaheim Bell from South Carolina. Um, all signed with Florida state. So Mike Norvell, I think Florida state will, and we'll, I, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but like Florida state 10 win season, Miami in disarray, Florida kind of a down year. They got trounced in their bowl game. Like some good things for Mike Norvell in year three, and they were patient with him, and it's starting to bear a little bit of fruit. Well, remember just a year ago at this point, after that the debacle they had on signing day, when yeah, know, Travis, Travis, Hunter. Travis Hunter flips to an FCS school, you know, you're coming off a five and seven season. We were all being like, okay, what the hell is going on? And you, you said it perfectly, just a complete – 180 and great turnaround season for Nike Norvell. And like you said, kudos to Florida state for being patient and letting them work through it. Cause there's an argument they might, you could make that they could be the, the favorite in the ACC next year, but we'll get to that. Uh, we will, moment. we will get to that. <laughs> uh, one more thing to kind of wrap up on here. We're going to do our big 10 season recap here uh, momentarily. The Jim Harbaugh news, new year, new Jim Harbaugh rumors. Um, these are some strong rumors. I don't remember if last year's rumors were quite as strong, but there have been numerous reports on Jim Harbaugh's interest level with the NFL, including one 
that said, and I don't have it up in front of me, but basically said if he gets an offer, he's he's gone. Um, and there are reports out of Carolina and Denver that he has been in negotiations and, and discussions with those two teams. Both have head coaching openings as well. Um, Lucas, uh, you know, I joked to you before the pod. I've joked to you over text. This is like a scheduled tweet for these, you know, college football like writers. It seems like every year, two or three days after Michigan season ends, uh, Jim Harbaugh's name is brought up in NFL jobs. It was Minnesota last year. Mm-hmm. Seems like it's Denver and Carolina this year. Jim Harbaugh could very well make a decision by the time this is posted, so I don't want to get too far down the line here. But what are your thoughts on that and, and potential his future uh, at Michigan? Yeah, it just, I was a little bit surprised. I know, I remember last year he was, he interviewed with the Vikings. Uh, they, uh, they obviously gave that job to, to Kevin O'Connell. And from what he was saying, it sounded like that was really his, really his last, you know, he said, hey, I just, I went for it again, but Michigan's the place now for me. And it sounded like, okay, maybe this is going to end for a little bit. To me, what this is saying, because he just got, did another tremendous job this season, their second straight playoff appearance. To me, either he feels like he pushed Michigan all that they could do, or he just really, really wants to get back to the NFL. And I kind of have to believe the latter because he just had Michigan within six points of going to a national championship game in a game that I think would have been fairly competitive against Georgia. And to me, I feel like he's worked to get Michigan back to this point, and he finally has them there. And to me, it's shocking that, I mean, Bruce Feldman was basically in his report said, if he gets an offer, it's he's, he's gone. Right. Like yeah. it's, and to me, and that's if you're, a very like respected journalist. Like Bruce yes. Feldman is very plugged in. Yes. Um, you can take whatever he says, and it's probably going to be about true 99% of the time. And to me, if you're an NFL franchise, I think you're an idiot if you don't at least call Harbaugh to see if he's interested. The guy was a fantastic NFL head coach. Uh, in just four years, went to three NFC title games and took a team to a Super Bowl. Um, so I think there's a lot to it. I'm, it sucks if you're a Michigan fan that if this is going to be what's going every year. But I, I am a little bit surprised because I do think right now he's got Michigan where he wants it. They're coming off two straight playoff appearances. The recruiting, everything is probably never going to be any better than it is now. And you're set up to compete next year in the foreseeable future. It's not like they're going to have a rebuild year next year. Like this was their most talented team. They've got a good amount of transfers coming in, another top 20 recruiting class. So, yeah, I'm a bit shocked by it. Um but to me, I just feel like it feels like he really wants to go back. I think there's there's two plausible reasons here. I think the first is his overall goal is I want to win a Super Bowl. I got there with San Francisco. We almost won it. Mm-hmm. I feel like I can get there again. And that is the the ultimate peak of of football is winning the Super Bowl. Um, and I and I wonder if if the other reason has to do with like just the 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 change in college football over the last three to four years with the transfer portal, with NIL, with having to re-recruit your roster basically every year with the, you know, your season ends the Sunday after Thanksgiving, you go on the road recruiting. And then it's just, I wonder if you're going to see coaches, Jim Harbaugh's age, I don't know, guys like Kyle Whittingham, Mike Gundy, Nick Saban, like that group of college football coaches just say, yeah, this, 
this isn't for me anymore. We, we've seen it in basketball, right? Coach K, mm-hmm. Roy Williams, Jay Wright. They didn't like the way that sport was going, and they were like, I'm I'm good. It's either it's, it's a young man's game now. I don't want to deal with the grind of, hey, coach, uh, this school is offering me $500,000 to play my senior season there. What can you do for me? And the coach is like, I, okay. You know, so I wonder if Jim Harbaugh's like, yeah, listen, like, I love Michigan. Because it's not money. Like, Michigan will pay him more money. than Like, college coaches get paid more than the NFL coaches at, at yeah. the top, right? I mean, except for, like, Bill Belichick, I think, makes more than – than some of the college coaches, but like colleges can match whatever the NFL can, mm-hmm. can, can give you. But the NFL, like when your season ends, whether that's in January or February, the only thing you're worrying about is basically staffing until you get to the combine for like a mm-hmm. month and a half in college. When your season ends, you go sit in the living rooms of 18 year olds and try to make sure that they come play for you. Or in you know, Jim Harbaugh's case, you sleep over. At, you uh, climb trees, right? Like, yeah. I mean, it's, it's constant recruiting. It's summer camps in the summer. It's evaluations in the spring. I mean, it, it's a grind. And the NFL is certainly a grind week to week with how you have to scheme and game plan and you know execute. Um, but college, like, there's just so much more to being a head coach. It's almost two two different jobs. So, I wonder if Jim Harbaugh's like, listen, like, I've maxed out Michigan. We've won the last two Big Ten titles. It's time for me to try something else again. I was a good NFL coach. I mean, I've. I'm a I'm a, a fan of a team with the current head coach Cliff Kingsbury. I would not mind seeing them get rid of him for Jim Harbaugh. I mean, I think any NFL team, with the exception of like maybe eight or ten, should want Jim Harbaugh. He's won mm-hmm. everywhere he's gone. He's done a great yeah. job. So, yeah, I think he, I think that would be a great fit because I think he could actually sort out whatever the hell's going on with uh, Kyler Murray. So yeah, it's a mess. All right, so uh, decent segue here. We'll get to the Big Ten here. We're going to do our season recap. We we recapped the Pac-12 a couple weeks ago. Lucas and I are going to go conference by conference and just kind of – we have some categories and some superlatives, and then we'll kind of give our thoughts on the conference and where they're at heading into 2023. So our four categories are most surprising team, most disappointing team, best coaching job, and the team uh, you're most kind of looking forward to tracking them in the off season, most intriguing team heading into 2023. Uh, so Lucas, let's start with biggest surprise team. I will let you go first. Your, your kind of biggest positive surprise team in the big 10. Positive surprise. I am going to go uh, with Illinois, um, which shouldn't shock you. We've been kind of yep. big, big. We've been very bullish on the Illini, but I just think what Brett Bielma has done there in just two years, getting them from kind of a doormat to on the precipice of playing for a Big Ten championship this year. They didn't end the season great, but they still won eight games. They played in their first New Year's Day Bowl, I think, in almost two decades. So I think just just kudos to them. Their defense was phenomenal. Um, obviously, Ryan, Ryan Walters, the defensive coordinator, rising star, now a, the head coach at Purdue, uh, but I also think they were surprisingly relatively offensively. Tommy DeVito, I thought, had a really nice year um, under their first-year offensive coordinator, Barry Looney. Um, Chase Brown had another fantastic year as their running back. So I'm going to go with them just because I think a lot of people expected them maybe at best to make a bowl game, but, I mean, it was mid-November, and they were the favorites in the Big Ten West um, to play for uh, – play for a big 10 title. And I think you got to be excited for just the outlook 
um, for that program here uh, in the foreseeable future. So they were my they were my biggest surprise. Yeah, they were mine as well. Um, I, I think they might be the only choice for the Big Ten. Seven and one at one point, and I think if you're Illinois, like. There's the micro and the macro, right? I think at the on the macro level, like you tell an Illinois fan, you're going to go eight and four in the regular season. You're going to make your first bowl game since 2018, 2019, mm-hmm. I think. Um, and uh, you're going to play in a January bowl game, right? And they would say, "Hell yeah, sign me up!" And but you would also tell them, "You're seven and one, and you're." I mean, these are their losses. You I mean lost by three at Indiana week one? That's a game where you dominated. You lost to a Michigan state team by eight uh, the week after they had kind of the locker room incident at Michigan and had to suspend players. You played Michigan arguably better than any team in the big 10. You lost by two points to Michigan. You're up 17, I think 10 in that game. You'll add one touchdown to Michigan. So this is a bit of a, what if, I mean, Illinois, I think should have won the big 10 West. And and that mm-hmm. is going to be something that they will look back on. I think Brett and that staff will be like, man, we, we missed a chance. Now you're not beating Michigan in the Big Ten title game, you're probably going to go then like to the Citrus Bowl and, and lose to LSU. So it, it doesn't mean a ton, but yeah, Illinois, outstanding job for them. Chase Brown, Devin Witherspoon, they developed some really good football players. Ryan Walters going to Purdue, a really nice year for the Fight in Illini. Mm-hmm. Lucas on the other side of it, biggest disappointments. I I jotted down two. I'll I'll say one here and then I'll I'll let you go and I might give my other one here. I said Michigan State, um, Spartans off of an 11 and two season in 2021. Mel Tucker, they're on the upswing. Kenneth Walker, Doak Walker Award. Mel Tucker signs the big extension. They keep their coach. They're they're excited to compete with the Penn States and Ohio States, and they're ready to jump into that elite tier in the Big Ten. And they go five and seven. And these were the victories for Michigan State this year: Western Michigan, Akron. Wisconsin in overtime at Illinois and Rutgers. You got drubbed by Minnesota 34-7. You lost to Maryland by two scores. You lost to Michigan by 22. You lost to Indiana and Penn State. Uh, You returned Peyton Thorne. You brought in Jalen Berger from Wisconsin. It just didn't matter. This was a team that had, you know, the locker room fight at Michigan. Um, A lot of issues for Mel Tucker in year three. Um, kind of the opposite year, right, that they had in 2021. And if you're Michigan State, you have a lot of questions heading into 2023. I mean, are you closer to Penn State and Michigan and Ohio State, or are you closer to Indiana and Rutgers and Maryland? And I think that's a huge question heading into this offseason for them. And they, they are going to bring a lot of transfers. I was looking at my transfer portal. I think I have 12 or 13 transfers again. Um, we'll see if that pans out. Um, so I, I had Michigan State as my biggest disappointment for this season. Yeah, and I think one of the I think we just really underestimated how much of an impact uh, uh, Kenneth Walker had uh, two years ago. Obviously, Heisman Trophy finalist was insanely good, but um, just how much he kind of covered up, I think. Um, kind of the weaknesses of that team two years ago because they still weren't very good defensively, especially against the pass. Um, they were still one of the worst pass defenses in the Big Ten. Um, yeah, we'll see how they rebound because if they don't have a great year next year, they're paying Mel Tucker money that they need to be competing for Big Ten titles. 
you're, so, you're not firing Mel Tucker. There's a be, there's no. a better chance Jimbo gets fired than Mel Tucker. Michigan State doesn't have the money to fire Mel Tucker. They just no. don't. Um, but uh, my most disappointing team is gonna feel like I'm gonna stab my own self in the heart. But it was Wisconsin. Oh, no. It was Wisconsin. Yeah. They were they, they were the other team on my list. It was them or Michigan State. Um, they just were obviously. I mean, disappointing. They fired their head coach, uh, Paul Chris. After after five games, falling to two and three, where they just looked pathetic against both uh, Illinois against Ohio State. To look pathetic against Ohio State is one thing. To do it against Illinois, a team that you have you had only lost to once over the past, I think, fifteen years at home you, too. At home, and you get just absolutely stomped by them, thirty-four to ten. Um, and even after that, it looked like they were moving in the right direction under. Uh, under Jim Leonard as their interim. And then you just have games against like, you know, the same issues still persisting bad penalties at awful times. Whenever they played good above average defenses could not move the ball consistently. If at all against teams like Minnesota uh, in Iowa, Iowa, they, Iowa had the most, the least amount of yards in a win, arguably in their program's history. They had 146 yards against Wisconsin. Wisconsin lost that game by two scores. Um, it was just bad. I mean, uh, on the bright side, the fact that our worst season in like two decades, um, we we're, we were still going bowling and everything like that. Um, and obviously, I like the future ahead under Coach Fickle, but it was a really bad year. I think I picked them as my choice to go back to the Big Ten title game out of the West. I still think they were arguably the most talented team in the West this year. They just underperformed, and that's why you have a coaching change and why they're moving in a different direction. So, yeah, my guys, Wisconsin Badgers, as the most disappointing team in the Big Ten this year. Two teams real quick I'll hit on before we move on. Northwestern and and Indiana. Boy, does it feel like 2020 was decades ago for them. Northwestern beats – Nebraska week zero in Dublin. You're thinking, man, is this is this the even year Northwestern? Or no, is this odd year Northwestern? Year. No, even like, year. even year. yeah, even year. Thank you. Yeah. Is this even year Northwestern? Are they, are they going to do the damn thing and win the Big Ten West? They proceed to not win another game the rest of the season. They went oh and eleven on American soil, and I can't figure that program out. I just I I can't figure out why they can't. It's so rare to see these teams with these high ups and these low down. I mean, it's it's baffling to me. You go one and 11. I mean, that is yeah. it to me. It's, it's crazy. And then Indiana four and eight, go ahead. How, I was going to say how many, how many more years? Look, I don't think Pat Fitzgerald is in any danger of getting fired. He is Northwestern football, but how many years do you take more like that before you start thinking about it? Like they, yeah. three and three, and nine and one and 11, two years after you made it to the big 10 title game. Or if you look big picture, three out of their last four years, they've had three wins or less. They've been bad, yeah. So really bad. Um, and yeah, you mentioned Tom Allen. I guess this year could have been looked at as an improvement over two and ten, but and look, that program will benefit too when they get rid of divisions here in a couple of years. Um, they won't have yeah. to play those four programs every single year. But you know, Indiana's a tough job. Uh it's just, it just really, really is. But, uh, but yeah, another kind of disappointing news that, uh, for for the Hoosiers. Indiana started three and zero. They got a nice win over Illinois in Week One. 
and then they beat Michigan State on the road as their only two Big Ten wins, but proceeded to then lose seven straight games uh, in the middle part of their season. So sec- second consecutive year, Indiana not going bowling, 2-10 uh, and 10 in 2021, 4-8 in 2022 all right let's go to best coaching job uh i will let you go first on this this doesn't have to be necessarily the same as your biggest surprise but who did you think did the best coaching job this year i think it's hardball um i I had him as well i i think a lot of us expected well when i say expected drop off from last year i thought they were going to be like nine and three ten and two this year um just with the amount of guys they lost on the defensive side of the ball but underestimated how much better they got offensively, how good that offensive line was. And they were still extremely good defensively. And, you know, Harbaugh, they've raised their game as a program. I think we kind of thought last year was a one-off. They're the standard bearers now for the Big Ten. They've won it two years in a row. They've dominated Ohio State two years in a row. And I just think, just you mentioned 2020 with, with Indiana and Northwestern. It was the complete opposite for Michigan. I mean, they were terrible in in the COVID year. You know, Harbaugh takes a pay cut, um, really to kind of stay on there, and yeah, he's over delivered. And I think this year was his be- his best job as a um, as a coach there at Michigan. And that's why I said I'm kind of shocked he's looking at the NFL because I think the future is extremely extremely bright there right now. Well, look at who they lost. They lost both coordinators, mm-hmm. right? Uh, Josh Gaddis, the Broyles winner, went to Miami. And then uh, they lost their D.C. to the Baltimore Ravens, who went to work for his brother. You lose Aiden Hutchinson. You lose David Ajabo. You lose Daxton Hill. You lose Hassan Haskins. Like, they lost a lot from that 2021 team that went to the college football playoff and won the Big Ten. And to go 12-0 and 0 and win the Big Ten again. I mean, it just rolled teams, right? We we mocked their non-conference schedule, but they rolled teams, right? They rolled Penn State uh, at, ho- uh, at home. They won at uh, at Ohio State. I mean, you're just looking at some of these games, like 45-23 win at Ohio State. They beat Purdue by 21 in the Big Ten championship game. Beat Iowa by 13, Indiana by 21. They smashed Purdue at home, uh, Penn State at home. Like, they, they really – ran through teams and I thought Harbaugh I agree I put him or Brett Bielema as as second I think those are the guys that did the best job this year Brett Bielema I'm just impressed was able to turn this around so quickly considering like a lot of these guys are Lovey Smith players mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of upperclassmen um Sidney Brown Devin Witherspoon Chase Brown like they bring in Tommy DeVito and people were like uh DeVito hasn't been good since like 2019 is that the best you could have done and he was a really good fit for them and Chase Brown you know, all American and, and um, they produce some really good players on defense. So I had, I had those two, but I, I think it's Jim Harbaugh. I mean, what he did this year with what they lost off that team to be um, in a position. And I think that's what stings a little bit. If you're, if you're Michigan, I mean, you, you, you got a chance to play TCU and, and clearly TCU is really good, but it's not like you had to play a, an, you know, seemingly dominant team in the semifinal. Mm-hmm. I think many – I had said on the pod last week or last time we recorded, I would have put Michigan as the favorite heading into the season or heading, in, heading into these games. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, 2023 team that we are most looking forward to kind of following this offseason. I, I wrote down two. I'm going to start with Penn State. So Penn State goes 11-2, and two, 
They win the Rose Bowl. But if you're James Franklin, like, it feels like you're not close to Michigan or Ohio State. Like, Penn State is in this very weird spot where they are so much better than everyone else in their division. They're so much better than Maryland, Michigan, uh, Michigan State, and Indiana Rutgers, obviously. But, you know, if you look at the two games that they played against Michigan and Ohio State, like, they weren't close. They lost 41-17 to Michigan. They lost 44-31 to Ohio State. Ten of their ten of their eleven wins were by double digits. I mean, if you, they beat Purdue by four, and then rattled off ten double digit wins, Maryland thirty to zero, Rutgers fifty five ten, Michigan State thirty five sixteen, Minnesota forty five seventeen, Auburn forty one twelve. You know, you beat Utah in the Rose Bowl thirty five twenty one. I just am curious as to how Penn State fans view their program. You're eleven and two. You're pro- you're in a position right now to be a 9, 10, or 11 win team every year and playing a lot of Rose Bowls and, and uh, Orange Bowls and whatever. But I don't know if you're close to Michigan and Ohio State. And then the other reason why I'm watching Penn State is because of Drew Aller, who was a, a five-star quarterback. The Sean Clifford era finally over. Uh, good for him. He got to go off with the Rose Bowl win. But you bring in a, a guy that was really hyped out of high school and um, this is, I think, a big two- or three-year stretch for James Franklin because I do think that fan base will tire a little bit of the status quo, which is a good status quo. Mm-hmm. I think he has four 11-win seasons since he's been there, which is pretty awesome. But it's the status quo, and we know in college football, like fans are not very patient. You know, uh, they were my intriguing team kind of going into, and I think you touched on a lot of the points. You know, eleven and two. I felt, I felt like they went very under the radar. Like people just after they lost to Ohio State in Michigan, people were just like, no one talked about Penn State. To me, they were who the committee thought Ole Miss was. Was like the third best team, and we saw Ole Miss kind of fall off a cliff um, after they got ranked what like eighth in the country at one point. Yep. Um, but uh, no, I think you brought the points. Uh, obviously, drew out uh, drew Alar. But they also returned Nicholas Singleton, who had yeah. a really nice freshman year, five-star running back. They also have, you know, Katron Allen, um, who is another true freshman running back um, that really, really shined. They returned a ton on defense next year, too. And, you know, you look at Mich- – I mean, you kind of mentioned kind of where are they at in the Big Ten. Well, you know, C.J. Stroud is going to be gone at Ohio State, so they're going to be breaking a new quarterback. And we were just talking about Harbaugh. If he leaves, you know, what what is Michigan looking like next year with potentially a new coach? Um, you might have everything kind of fall for you um, as well. I mean, this was a huge turnaround year. I mean, the last two years, you know, they were seven and six this or in 21. In 2020, COVID, it was awful. They were four and six. Um, so I think it's a big year next year for James Franklin. I don't think he's in any danger, obviously of being fired. He's a guy that seems like gets a brand new extension every year. Um, but, uh, you know, and they, they've recruited at a top 10 level for the last, basically since James Franklin has been there, they've brought in really, really good recruiting classes. Like, I don't know if they're as talented as Ohio state or Michigan, but they're pretty damn close to it. 
Um, and I think quarterback play, though Sean Clifford's been fine. Um, I think bringing in a guy like like Drew Alar, and you also have to remember this will be the third straight year that Mike Yersich will have his system in yep. place. So yep. all these guys coming up have also been working in this offensive system, which I think has gotten better each year he's been there. So uh, I'm with you. I think they're they're the most intriguing team coming into next year. Uh, one of the things that I also wrote down is is who is the preseason favorite in the Big Ten West next year? Like, who is the favorite oh. in the Big Ten West? I mean, if you think about it, you have three new coaches in the division, right? You have Matt Rule at Nebraska, Luke Fickle at Wisconsin, and uh, oh goodness, for, forgive me, the third one. You've um, got uh, PJ Fleck at Minnesota. PJ Fleck at Minnesota. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, uh, no, no. oh your new Ryan coach. Walters. Yeah, Ryan Walters. My bad. Ryan I Walters thought you were just naming off coaches, not new ones. Yeah. So three new coaches. Uh, Minnesota, I mean, Iowa seemingly will just run it back with Cade McNamara and Brian Ferentz and Kirk Ferentz. Illinois loses Tommy DeVito, Chase Brown, a, a ton off that defense. Minnesota loses Tanner Morgan. I'm guessing they lose Mo Ibrahim as well. I'm, I don't think he's coming they, back. It, well, and they also might have lost uh, – the guy who replaced Tanner Morgan, uh, Melon Canis or whatever, he had a kind of oh, a gruesome yeah. injury in his bowl game. So oh, they man. might be down even further on the depth. Like, I'm just, I'm looking at the Big Ten West and I'm thinking, like, I mean, who, who like, what, what's going to be the highest win total preseason? Like, seven and a half? Like, you're just going to have a bunch of teams that have like five and a half to seven and a half wins. Is it, to me, it's probably Iowa or Minnesota just because of the, you know, system and culture and and the teams are kind of already set up but like if you were to tell me wisconsin goes nine and three and wins the division in year one i wouldn't believe i, I like wouldn't doubt it if or or minnesota goes nine and three and wins the division or, or i mean i just I, I think the big 10 west is like i don't remember a division being kind of this wide open yeah it, it was kind of that feel this year but a lot of people still i think it was you know a lot of people thinking wisconsin minnesota iowa and then obviously of course purdue ends up i Illinois is pretty much the favorite the whole year, and then Purdue comes yeah. in the back end and ends up winning. I think it'll be the same thing next year because even with the coaching changes, like you, you assume Nebraska is going to be better. They can't be much worse than what they've been. Um, I have no idea what Iowa's going to do offensively. If they bring back Brian Ferentz, like, my God, like, I, I just don't know. I feel for Iowa fans in that regard, but. Um, but no, Minnesota, I think Flack has, you know, I think the floor for Flack right now there is like an eight to nine win season. Like, I think that's the floor, which uh, is kudos to them for for elevating that. But, you know, Wisconsin, they brought in a really good transfer in Tanner Mordecai too. Like, um, you know, that off, I don't know what the hell they're going to look like offensively. It's going to be a lot different, which I'm excited about. But, and then with Purdue, the defending West champs, like you bring in, yeah, they're going to have a whole new coaching staff. Um, I like the hire of Graham Harrell um, as their offensive corner. I think like Brom, like that that offense just fits um, what what Purdue does best and kind of what their identity is best served. So, and I think they could be better defensively with Walters uh, running there. So, I have no idea. God forbid we're we're talking about all these teams. Watch it be freaking Northwestern or Nebraska under uh, under Matt Rule become like oh, just Lord. become worst to first. Oh, or something Lord. like that. That would be good. It's probably the last year they have these divisions. I think I was reading um, on 24-7. I think it was on the Maryland page that the 80s have already voted. 
to get rid of divisions starting in 2024. And they've already submitted their three, their requests for their three permanent rivals that they're going to be having. Um, and uh, apparently they're going to be announcing maybe a scheduling model here in the next month or so. So I'm interested to see. But Interesting. Yeah, not to get on that tangent, but uh, no, the West is going to, it'll be the Wild West again, uh, which it should be. It's the last year it'll probably be around. So I'm all for uh, all for the chaos on that side of the division. All right. So real quick, we're already an hour and 15 minutes in. Let's just do this right now. Who, who, who is your three team? Who is your three permanent rotating, like permanent Wisconsin schedule? Iowa, Minnesota, and... And I don't really care who the third one is. I think a lot of people will be like, "Oh, is it Nebraska?" They're not a rival. Like we usually, they do like usually they give you one or two like of the obvious ones, and yes. then the third one's kind of like random. Like I would it be like Maryland or I wouldn't mind if it would be like maybe it's Penn State or Michigan. Maybe it's I would love that. Um, I would also I wouldn't mind if one of them was you know UCLA. And, you know, Wisconsin has some history with them just back in the Rose I forgot Bowl. about the Pac-12 teams. Um, you know, it's USC. I'd love it if it was Penn State. Like, especially a team we don't play that often from the other side of the conference would be cool. Um, yeah. Because what I would love is if they did, like, you have, like, your two permanent ones. And then you just – the third one is one that you'll just play out for, like, a four-year stretch or something that, that you hard. could change out or something like that. Like, I think that would be cool. But I think – I'll be pissed if we're not playing Minnesota and Iowa every year. Like those are the two teams I want to play every year. We just have long standing. I mean, Minnesota is going to happen because it's, it's the longest standing rivalry in college football. Like it's just not, but, um, but no, I'm intrigued with how they do like who the hell, like the newcomers, like Rutgers, Maryland, USC and UCLA. Who are, who who are they going to play? Like, Obviously, USC and UCLA are going to play each other every year, but who are you going to give them? Like, are you going to give UCLA, like, Rutgers that they have to fly to Piscataway, like, every other year? Um, yeah, like, do you like, give those teams, like, I'm looking at, like, Nebraska maybe or Northwestern maybe because they're in Chicago and it's a little easier to, like, play there. Like, I don't – it will be fascinating to see what happens with USC and UCLA because obviously yeah. they'll play each other, so that's one game. Mm-hmm. But what? Who are the other two opponents? You know, could it be Indiana? Could it be, you know, Wisconsin or Nebraska? That's, It'd be interesting. That that's when you bring that because I always just laugh when people talk about like the additions. Everyone brings up, oh, this is going to bring up so many great games. We're going to have USC, Michigan, Ohio State. I'm like, yeah, you're also going to have like USC going to like Bloomington or going to you know Evanston to play you know a conference game or UCLA flying to Rutgers. Like, um, yep. Like, I just, I just think it, it'll just be funny to see um, Indiana at USC on Big Ten Network, and that being like a regular thing in like two or three. And years. it's going to be like a, it's going to be like a nine a.m. Pacific time, like you know, <laughs> yeah. on a blistery November, uh, November day in Bloomington. Oh man. Oh man. All right. Anything else to add here before we sign off here? Give me a. Let's do a final. Score prediction for the for the title game, real quick. I'll go. I'm going to say Georgia wins forty two to thirty one. Okay, I was going to say Georgia um, forty five uh, to or no forty eight to thirty eight. I'll say that. All right, we both have TCU covering. Mm-hmm. Hoping for a good game. I mean, Me hoping 
I doubt we'll get the drama we got from playoff Saturday, but hoping for a good competitive game. It would be awesome to see TCU get um, a national championship. That'd be fun. So, mm-hmm. All right. For Lucas Rohde, I'm Ryan Baffle-Lucas. Thank you all for joining us in 2023. Thank you all uh, who listened in 2022 and uh, who will uh, continue to be with us for 2023. Expect a couple of episodes a month here in the quote-unquote offseason. For Lucas Rohde, I'm Ryan Baffle-Lucas. Have a great night. Stay frosty, everyone. Oh, 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 oh,